as the choir led us through those final days of the great love that you have for each one of us. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost in a moment of time when Adam sinned. Sin entered in the world, and with sin came death. And the soul that sins will die. And God, that's why we all die physically. And that's why spiritually we come into this world separated from you and why we're in such desperate need for a Savior. God, we thank you that you have provided the means in which we can be redeemed, that we can be restored, and that we can be made whole. God, may we never forget what a tremendous price that Jesus paid so that you and I who turn from sin and trust in him and his death and his resurrection can have newness of life. The Bible says that we've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus, and that we who are redeemed should now glorify him in these earthly bodies. We thank you for this great love. We thank you for that sacrifice on our behalf. And we thank you for the newness of life that comes through the resurrection. And may we live accordingly. May we walk in a manner that's, that's worthy of our calling. We commit this time to you. We commit our lives to you. May you be glorified in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. The story is told of uh, a couple of uh, gas company employees. One was a senior supervisor. The other was a trainee who were going about making their rounds. And they drove to an alley and they parked their truck at one end of the alley. They walked along the alleyway reading the meters. And they came to the end of the alley. And when they were at the end of the alley, the two were reading a meter. And the woman in the house was looking outside and watching what was going on, not really sure what was happening And unbeknownst to her, they came up with a bet. And the older man said, hey, listen, I'll bet you I can beat you in a sprint back to the truck. And whoever loses buys lunch. And sure enough, man, these two just take off and they're running down the alley. And as they're running down the alley, they hear something behind them. They hear hear another set of footsteps. They hear somebody breathing hard and they almost get to the truck and they stop and they turn around. And here's this woman behind them. And she looked at him and and they looked at her and said, what are you doing? She said, I don't know, I was looking out the window, I saw you working on my gas meter, when I see two gas men take off running, I think I should run too. <laughs> you know, and, and there's, there's, that's one smart woman. You know, she figured out that it wasn't a good sign to see gas company employees go taking off down an alleyway. And so she followed them. And you know, responding appropriately to signs is always wise behavior. For example, when you see a stop sign, it's not a bad idea to stop. We see a red light, not a bad idea to stop at a red light. You see a, you know, a yield sign, not a bad idea to look to make sure that you know, you're merging into oncoming traffic. Those are all wise things to do. When you see slippery when wet, I'm thinking if it's raining, slow down. I mean, just little things like that, that, that you, know, you know, if you're seeking you know, to seek medical counsel for you know, a lump, recurring pain, a fever, you know, that's a good idea. You know, to, to take action, appropriate action when we see signs is always wise behavior. To consider, think about what it is, what do they mean, what are they saying, what's, what's it conveying. Uh, I like the, these billboards, and some of you may have seen this, but billboards that were getting attention along highways in Arizona. And an Arizona newspaper, some people had called in reporting seeing one or two messages, but an Arizona newspaper listed all of them, and it's a list uh, with all the variations of God Speaks. 
And the billboards are great. For example, just stop and think about it. You're driving down the freeway. You look up, you see a billboard. Tell the kids I love them, God. Like that. Let's meet at my house Sunday before the game, God. (laughs) Come on over and bring the kids, God. You know, what part of thou shalt not did you not understand, God? (laughs) We need to talk, God. You know, keep using my name in vain. I'll make rush hour longer, God. (laughs) Love the wedding, invite me to the marriage, God. Interesting, some good stuff. I love you and you and you and you and you and you, God. Will the road you're on get you to my place, God? Follow me, God. These are wonderful signs. I like this one. Big Bang Theory, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) God. (laughs) That's beautiful. My way is the highway, God. (laughs) Hey, need directions? God. Now think about this. This is in Arizona. You think it's hot here? (laughs) God. Have you read my number one bestseller? There will be a test. God. (laughs) Do you have any idea where you're going? God. And lastly, don't make me come down there. (laughs) God. You know, the, the point is, heeding signs and acting accordingly, always a good idea. However, seeking signs for the purpose of seeking yet another sign and taking no action is fatal. And that's the message that Jesus shares in Luke chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, where we see the sign of Jonah, the ultimate sign of God, the sign of Jonah. And in Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 27, we read these words. And it came about, while he said these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you were nursed. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. And as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah. It says, For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south shall rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar, nor under a peck measure, but on the lampstand in order that those who enter may see the light. The lamp of your body is your eye. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you may not be darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it shall be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. 
If you remember, just prior to these events and this pronouncement in this passage, Jesus had been dealing with hard hearts, uh, hearts that were so callous that though they, eye, they were eyewitnesses to an exorcism as Jesus cast a demon out of a man who had been under the control of Satan, many of them attributed Jesus' power to Beelzebub, the prince of demons, or to Satan. And then they, they asked for a sign from heaven as if what he had just done wasn't good enough. In response to this first dismissal, Jesus, if you recall, mercifully reasoned with them, told them to think about it. Let's consider what your argument is. Reason about what it is. You're saying that, you know, I cast out demons by the devil, but my whole ministry is to destroy the works of the enemy. And I've come to do that, to set you free from sin and destroy him. And and many times he went around casting out demons, destroying. And he said, a house divided against itself can't stand. You know, a home divided against itself can't stand. A business divided against itself can't stand. One of the points I made yesterday at the Angels Lunch, and a team divided against itself can't stand. You, you can't win. A church divided against itself cannot stand against the evil forces of this world. And Jesus said, you don't make any sense. Think about what you're saying. You're, you're illogical. or There's no reason behind it. Think about what you're saying. And he mercifully reasoned with them and challenged them to consider what it was they were saying. And then he gave a chilling warning about those who try to clean up their life without turning to God and His Holy Spirit to clean up your insides. Basically, you just open up the doors for even greater oppression that you had. He's saying that self-reformation without spiritual regeneration doesn't get anybody anywhere. It might make you better with other people, but it does nothing for you in your relationship with God. It's not a remedy for the forgiveness of our sin. Now he takes up a less strident, but nonetheless it's a hard-hearted request for a miraculous sign that we'll see. And in doing so, he calls to their remembrance two famous occurrences in their history. When Gentiles responded to the word of God, and they're the amazing illustrative stories of Jonah and the queen of Sheba or the queen of the south. And uh, whenever Jesus would bring back to the Jews' recollection days where Gentiles turned to God, it always kind of brought up, you know, the, the hair on the back of their necks would stand up. And yet Jesus would do this to help to teach them of God's truth, to warn them of God's judgment. But before we look at that, the first thing I want to show you is that, you know, this passage exposes the motives of those who seek signs. You'll notice in verse 16, it says, and others to test him or tempting him. Jesus said before to Satan, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Thou shalt not test God to, to do things that we want Him to do. He calls it a wicked generation for wanting to see more signs. Jesus makes it clear that it's possible to seek signs from God with an evil or wicked heart. Now, there are also those who seek God's leading and direction. It's like, God, you know, if you want us to continue to go forward, you know, show us and and, and make it clear to us that this is the direction that we should go. His word teaches us his truth and shows us the difference between right or wrong. His spirit living within God's people will guide us into all truth. And as we're not sure about decisions and directions, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, you know, give me direction. You know, I'll trust in you with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, you know, I will acknowledge you so that you give me direction, straight path, and a path that has no obstacles. You know, I don't know if we're going the right way. God, show me. There's safety in a multitude of godly counsel. There's a whole bunch of ways that God leads us and directs us and guides us. But there's also the flip side of that, and the dangerous side is this, is that when we go to God and we say to God things like this, listen, I'll make you a deal. You heal me, then I'll believe you're God. 
You get me the raise or the promotion, then I'll believe you're God. You give me the spouse that I want for life, then I'll believe you're God. You give me the material things of this world that I feel I need, then I'll believe you're God. You know, you do for me what I want you to do, and then I'll believe you're God. And God says, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. And it exposes an evil and wicked heart. Because the majority of people who say, you give me this, then I'll believe, when they get it, it's not enough. It's never enough. Give me what I want, then I'll believe you're God. And I'll tell you what, when we come to God with that attitude, it's harder to believe that he's God. Because what kind of God would be bossed around by us? What kind of God's going to be told by us who he should be and what he should do? And Jesus said, I exposes a wicked generation. This generation seeks signs as if somehow or another the signs that God had already given them weren't good enough. And unfortunately, far too many of our requests fall into such a category. You know, the Jews of Jesus' day continually sought signs while ignoring the countless signs Jesus had already given them. You know, throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus had held up, as it were, one sign after another that he is indeed God's Savior. You know, think about it once again. Think about it with a fresh and maybe a new approach. Think about the fact that when he spoke, he spoke with authority as, as no one had ever spoken in human history. And they said, wow, he speaks with authority. It's as if almost that God himself is speaking to us. You know, he cast out demons on numerous occasions, not just this one. And the reaction of the crowds was they were always amazed. And amazement and awe was they walked around with their jaws dropped down. Every time they saw Jesus do something, their jaws dropped. Those whose jaws dropped were like, ah. And then there were those who recognized who he was, and they praised and gave glory to God because Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with us. He rebuked fever and he healed all who were brought to him of every disease imaginable. And they were in awe and they glorified God. And others said, that's not enough. I want to see more. Then there was a miraculous catch of fish. And they were in awe and some glorified God and some were in awe of him. And others went, that's not good enough. And then he healed a leper and a paralytic and a man with a withered hand and a centurion's servant and some were in awe and others were glorifying God and some were saying, but that's not good enough. Then he said, watch this. And he raised people from the dead. The widow of Nain, her son, and he spoke, he sat up on on the pallet, the coffin that they were carrying him out to the cemetery that day and he sat up. And some were in awe, and some were glorifying God, and some with a hard heart said, it's a trick, it's not enough. And Jairus' daughter, he did the same thing, and some were in awe, and some were glorifying God, and some said, it's not enough. Isn't that the world we live in? Some were in awe, some were glorifying God, and others are saying, that's not enough. It's not enough that you open the eyes of the blind. It's not enough that you open the ears of the deaf. It's not enough that you healed this man who had never walked and this man who had never spoke, he now speaks. And it's not enough that you raise people from the dead. I'll only believe if you're, you're God if you get me the raise at my job. Like that's a big one. That's huge. Ooh, you get the raise, maybe God exists. And what he's saying was, you know what? You got a wicked heart you got an evil heart. 
You don't have a heart sensitive to God. He said, blessed are those who keep from stumbling over me in Luke chapter 7. How does one keep from stumbling over Jesus? By responding to the signs he has already given without requiring more signs. How does one keep from stumbling over Jesus? By examining the evidence that already exists. You know, we also keep from stumbling over him by accepting God's will and trusting in God's word. You know, Jesus said that if I cast out by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is upon you. If the power that I have is God, then God's kingdom has arrived and is in your midst. Which is exactly what the angel announced. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, with us. As I thought about that phrase, finger of God, I came across a passage in Psalm 8. I want you to look at that because it refers to the very power of God and uses the same words, the same phraseology when we talk about the finger of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name above all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider, you know, when I look at, when I take a good hard look at and think about the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, I think, what is man that thou, that thou dost take thought of him? And the son of man, that you would care for him. And yet, you have made him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands, and you put all things under his feet in submission or subjection, the sheep and the oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Don't miss what he's saying. When I look around and I see how awesome you are, and I consider the works of your fingers... And I like that. It's kind of like effortless. Just, yeah, there you go, a couple planets, a couple galaxies, a solar system here, no big deal. Because God spoke it into existence. When I consider how amazingly powerful and awesome and wonderful you are, who are we that you would even consider us, but yet you've considered us and that you have put all your creation under our subjection or submission, you have allowed us to enjoy your creation the heavens declare the handiwork of God. When I consider you, I'm in awe, I praise you, and others say, that's not good enough. And he says to them, you know what? Nothing will be good enough for you because your hearts are hard and you're not open to God's truth. Romans 1 talks about creation and how all of crea creation shouts that God exists. But it says that men's hearts were hard and they worshipped the creature rather than the creator. And they began to do despicable things that we see in our culture on a regular basis. And they turned from God and they turned to their own lusts. And they said, you know what? I will be my own God, thank you. And yet have enough arrogance and pride to say, if you exist, then give me what I want. 
Do you ever test God by saying such things? If you're really God, if you truly exist, then give me and then I'll believe? I want you to think about that for a second. If he really is God and he is, he will do according to his purpose and not ours. I want you to think about the arrogance of going in this week to your job, going to your boss and saying, listen, I've been thinking about this. And if you're really the boss, then give me a raise. And if you're really the boss, I want a parking space. I want a new title. I want a raise. I want a bonus. And I want the month of June off. Because if you're really the boss, you can do that, right? How... Tell me, would somebody please do that this week and come back and tell me. Now, now, if you're the boss, then don't come in and say, well, I, I had a conversation with the boss, you know, but just tell me what in the world would some, I mean, look at you like, what, did you fall off the truck over the weekend? I mean, are you crazy? But we do that with God. Yeah. And don't say my pastor told me to come and tell you, I heard you what you just said. Here, I'll, get, I'll give you a note, see if that works. You know, but, but it just doesn't make sense. But to do it to God? How much more foolish is that? You know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. The great commandment that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. And put God's desires first. God's purposes first. God's will first. God's will be done. To those who are called according to His purposes. God's purposes. I've struggled, you struggle, when things don't go the way you want them to go in life, we have to ask the question, God, what is your purpose? I have no purpose for cancer in my life. You do. What is your purpose? What is your will? How do you want to use this for your kingdom, for your glory? And and I don't want to miss any of that. I'm not going to come to you and say, if you're God, then prove it by healing me. How crazy is that? He is God. Whether he heals me or not, as Job said, if he chooses to slay me, I will still trust in him. God gave him everything and took everything away. And Job said, naked I came in, naked I'm going out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And with his lips, he maintained his integrity before God. And he never cursed God in anything God chose to do. He praised him. If you're going through difficult times, may I challenge you to praise God for those circumstances. To go to God and ask Him, what is your will in this this situation of my life? What is your purposes? What is your plan? What is your kingdom's desire? What is your heart's desire? You know, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are God and I am not. And that's probably, you know, the, 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 the biggest and most important lesson that any of us can learn in this life, this side of eternity. He is God and we are not. And we must never test him or tempt him by having him prove to us who he is. So how much more evidence do you need? You got up this morning and the universe was still held together. Now go out this day and serve the God who has created you. God, what is your will in my life? This passage in Luke, if we go back to Luke chapter 11, you know, this passage in Luke, you know, exposes the motives of those who seek signs when God has already given us 
sign after sign after sign after sign after sign. The passage also emphasizes the importance of God's word. Notice this is indicated by his words to a woman in the crowd who yelled out, you know, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. You know, Jesus didn't say the woman's beatitude is wrong because we know in Luke chapter 1, verses 45 through 55, that Mary said, hey, I'm blessed of God. Blessed is the fruit of my womb. And you know what? And everybody in the crowd recognized how blessed she was of God because of what God chose to do in her life. So what the woman said was, hey, blessed is the, the, you know, the, the, the breast that nursed you. He didn't say, no, they're not. Hey, you know, that's true. But you know what? I, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about this. On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. All who hear God's word and act appropriately are like people who are driving down the street and see a stop sign and they stop. People that see a yield sign, they yield. People that see signs and go, you know what? It takes, you know, there's wisdom in heeding the sign. He said, blessed are all those who observe the word of God. Observe it. Do it. Do what it tells us to do. To observe it means to guard as a treasure. You know, the word of God is is a treasure. And the word of God is a map that leads us to the treasure. It is the treasure itself, but it's also the map that leads us to the treasure. It's all right there. And, and, and that's what God's word is. It's a treasure. We've been entrusted in these earthen vessels with a treasure, the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can go into the world and we can tell people, hey, I know how to get to heaven. I know how hot it is in hell. I know that God's highway is the highway. And I want to share that truth with you because God loves you and you and you and you and you. And he wants you to know that. See, and and that's what he's saying. It's a wealth of priceless truth to be lived out. We take sides, you know, when we look at this, we take sides with Jesus when we hear his word and obey it. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He said, are you for me or are you against me? Are you scattering or are you gathering? When we hear the word of God and we observe it in our life, when we keep it, we heed it, we do it, we're showing the world we're on his side. And we're gathering for his purposes, for his glory, for his kingdom. You know, Jesus' earthly family, you know, you know and he's saying that you know, physical relationship is not as important as a spiritual one. Do you realize that Jesus' earthly family were just as lost as you and I until they repented of their sin and they responded by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ? And in some cases, their half-brother. And they struggled with, wait a minute, he said, you know what, prophets without honor his hometown among his own people. It was harder for them to really understand and appreciate who he was. And yet at the same time, we know from, from the biblical reports and from, from history that his family did turn and repent from sin and trusted in him as their savior. Were born again by the will of God, not by human efforts. And, 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 they, and they became alive in Christ. And they heeded the word of God and they turned their world upside down. You know, to illustrate the importance of God's word, Jesus then takes them back through their own history when Gentiles responded to the word of God. And he gives two examples. He says in verse 31, you know, the queen of, of the south, or the queen of Sheba, shall rise up with men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. 
And behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 10, it's a wonderful account of this story that they recognized and understood in their human history. And we read in 1 Kings 10, Now when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. She came to Jerusalem with a large retinue with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. And Solomon answered her questions, all of them. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. When the king, queen of Sheba hurt, perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendants of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers, his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She was broken. She was contrite of heart. Then she said to the king, it was a true report. I like that word, report means it it went out on the streets. And remember what it said about Jesus, that the report of Jesus and his healing and his miracles went out and the report turned into a roar. And people were talking about Jesus everywhere. Everyone was talking about Solomon. The report that I heard about you was true. And in fact, look what she says. Nevertheless, I didn't believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen them. Reminds me of Thomas. And behold, the half was not even told to me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report that I have heard. Now blessed are those who are in your presence on a daily basis. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. And then she began to give him 120 talents or 144,000 ounces of gold. And no, do the math, that's a lot. And, uh, you know, take the current rates. And I know I'll lose some of you because you're going to be going, what's the current rate of gold? You know, forget it. It's a lot of money. Don't worry about it. Let's come back here. She came and it was like, look, and she was blown away by all of this. Blown away. Some of you are still doing the math. Stop it. And, uh, <laughs> and she was just blown away by all of it. it was, and, and, and what she was saying was, hey, I came to hear your wisdom. Listen, she didn't come to see a sign. She came to hear his words. The wisdom of his words. She traveled 1,200 miles on camelback. That took a long time. Do the math. But not right now. That's a long time. To hear the words of Solomon. And what Jesus said, greater than Solomon is one who is in your presence. And I came to you. How much more will be your judgment? She traveled 1,200 miles on a camel to hear the words of Solomon, the wisest man in his day who ever lived. Jesus said, and I came to you. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God in person. He is God's wisdom. Christ Jesus, who has become wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Paul described them as Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 2 and 3. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, God incarnate, is the wisdom of God, the Lamb that was slain, the ascended King. And He's saying to them, don't miss this, He's saying to them, she came 1,200 miles to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She didn't come looking for a sign. She came to hear His wisdom. And I came to you, and you don't even listen to me, and you seek a sign? How much more will you be held accountable on the day of judgment? And she will stand up and testify against you. And I think of a woman, this queen, humbling herself, getting on a camel to travel 1,200 miles to hear the wisdom of Solomon. 
And I think of how sad it is in our culture that people complain about driving 15 minutes to hear the Word of God. How much more do you think this generation will be accountable even of that generation? There's no excuse not to hear the wisdom of God. We have the written Word of God. There's no excuse not to get up early. There is no excuse not to make a drive. I'm not saying to drive here. I'm saying to drive anywhere where the Word of God is preached and proclaimed with authority and truthfulness and accuracy. There's no excuse for our generation. We have radio and TV and CDs and tapes and DVDs and movies. We have the history of our nation that was founded upon the biblical principles that are laid out in the Old and New Testament, the Judeo-Christian values that are laid out in Scripture. How much more so accountable do you think our generation will be at the day of judgment than even theirs. We have no excuse before God. And it troubles my heart and it saddens me to think of how many folks make excuses because it's too early to get up. It's not too early to go to work. It's not too early to go play golf. It's not too early to go surfing. It's not too early to go out and do the things that you enjoy to do, but it's too early to hear the words of God. Then you know what? You have no excuse before God. None of us do. And we'll stand before him in judgment and our mouths will be silent because we have nothing to say. And the queen of the south, as Jesus said, will rise up against that generation and testify against them. God came to them and they didn't want to listen to a thing he said. Instead they said, show us another sign. As if there weren't enough. And if that wasn't convicting enough, he went on to talk about Jonah. Time doesn't permit, but read Jonah's chapter 1 through 4, the whole book of Jonah. God told Jonah to go preach a message of repentance to the Ninevites. And Jonah hated those people and said, I ain't going to do it. Jumped on a ship. Ship got caught in a storm. God caused the storm. Jonah was sound asleep. Everyone else was freaking out on the boat. They came to him and said, what's up with you, man? You're sleeping. We're all freaking out. We're all praying to our gods. Why don't you pray to your God? Maybe one of us will find a God who will listen. And he said, I already know why the storm happened. It's all my fault. God told me to do something. I didn't do it. I'm sorry I got you into this mess. So, well, what are we going to do about it? I said, well, just throw me overboard. We can't throw you overboard. If you really know God, we throw you overboard. We're thinking this is a lose-lose for us. <laughs> this is all New Living Translation, by the way. <laughs> Throws him overboard. Throws him overboard. What happens? He gets swallowed up by a big fish. For three days, he's in the belly of this fish. And he's thinking about whether or not he should be obedient to God. I'm thinking God has a captive audience. And you know, and sometimes in the trials of our life, God has a captive audience, doesn't he? And sometimes that's the only time he can get our attention. Because we're too busy, man. We're in the fast lane. We're doing this, that, and the other thing. We're doing all kinds of stuff. You know, and God says, oh, it looks like we're going to have to have a little trial in your life so I can sit you down and talk to you for a minute. You know? Hey, you know what? It's the billboard, right? We need to talk, God. And that's what he does. So Jonah had three days to think about it. And then he began to cry out to God for mercy. You know, that's a great place to be. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jonah in the belly of the fish said, you know what, God? I think I made a big mistake. In fact, no, I know I made a big mistake. No ifs and buts about it. God, forgive me, have mercy on me. And the fish spit him up. And so that's what happened. Just spit him up right onto the shore. I could just see him. It had to be an ugly picture. And I can just see part of the humility process, you know, just walking away, just going. <laughs> A little seaweed back here. 
and I'll fish stuff over here. And said, now will you go to Nineveh, Nineveh and preach? Yes, I will. And what did he do? He warned them of the coming judgment of God. And you know what they did? They repented of their sin. They heard his words and repented. They turned from sin. They turned to God. They threw themselves upon his mercy. said, God, forgive us for our sins. And God forgave them. And Jonah still didn't learn his lessons because he was still upset because he knew that God would forgive him if they sought his forgiveness. So God is still doing a little work on Jonah's life. Stay tuned. Read your Bible. It's all in there. So the point is this. They believed Jonah's words. And they repented. And what Jesus said to the people, if they believed the words of a prophet and repented... How much more so should you believe the words of God and repent? That is why the people of Jonah's generation will stand in testimony against all who do not repent and heed the warning of God. Listen, the Ninevites did not seek a sign. What would have been a sign in their case? The destruction of their city. They were smart enough to say, doesn't sound like a good idea. I am not going to seek a sign because the sign that you said will happen is the destruction of our city and our people. Therefore, we'll take your word for it. We'll heed your warning. We'll repent and we'll turn to you for forgiveness. Listen to me, folks. Jesus Christ himself said that, that the generation, that generation, the sign would be the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah is the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That generation lived to th see those events take place before their very eyes. Jonah died to, to, to himself. He died and was swallowed up by a fish. He was in the belly of a whale for three days. That's why in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, the sign that this generation will have will be the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. Three days later, he will rise again. He will come forth in the newness of life. And you will see that. Heed that sign. Repent from your sins and turn to God and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, believing upon his resurrection, and you shall be saved. That is the message. That is the sign of Jonah. And wise people heed that sign. Wise people don't need more signs. Hearing God's word and failing to act upon it seals one's doom. Hearing God's word and acting upon it saves one's soul. We need to heed the warning of God's word. God himself is speaking. If they listen to a prophet and they listen to a queen, how much more so should we listen to the king of kings and lord of lords himself? Saying trust in him, believe in him. Have you believed in his word? Have you believed upon his word? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Have you believed his report? Have you believed what he said? Listen, he's warning all. He's saying, listen, if you don't repent from sin and you don't trust in my death on the cross and my resurrection, the, sec the, the next sign that you will have is the sign of your destruction. And you will be sent to a place that was never created for human beings, but for Satan and his demons, the lake of fire, the place we call hell. And you will be in torment night and day for all of eternity, unless you heed the sign and say, stop and turn from your sin and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you shall be saved. The Bible says every knee will bow. 
and every knee will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God. The only problem is if you do it after you die, it's appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. That'll be the last thing that you do before you are sent out of his presence for all of eternity. And listen to me. Hell is not a party place. I'm so tired of hearing ignorant people say, but you know what, I'd rather be in hell with my friends. We can hang out and have fun than be in heaven with nobody else I know. How, I, I, what are you thinking? Are you crazy? Do you not understand? Obviously not. It is a place of weeping and mourning and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of darkness and despair and gloom and agony. It is a place for all of eternity. People will remember the signs that God had given them. Stop and turn. Don't go any further. Trust in Jesus Christ and the forgive for the forgiveness of your sins and his resurrection. It will haunt them for eternity that they did not heed his warning. I pray that no one here today is at that place in their life. That all of us have heard the word of God and responded appropriately. That we've turned from sin and we've turned to God. We've thrown ourselves upon his mercy, the death of Jesus on the cross and the power of his resurrection. We've been born again by God's will, not by our own efforts. And that we are redeemed because of who he is and what he has done. And that we have life, eternal life, everlasting life. Jesus explains that this sign, this sign of Jonah, will be the only sign this generation will see. And as we look at that, he was very clear about it. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so the Son of Man shall be to this generation. And may I say to every generation to come that followed. It is a historical fact. The Bible is not fiction. The Bible is not a bunch of stories made up by men. Jesus Christ, His authority, the Word of God, He, he authenticated. Jonah went through this experience. This happened to that man. Exactly as the word of God recorded. This isn't some fairy tale. It's not a story to try to get our attention. It's not a metaphor to teach us some truth. It is a historical event that happened. And Jesus said, just as Jonah's life was assigned to the Ninevites, so shall what I do be assigned to this generation. If Jonah is fiction, so is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I praise God that neither are fiction. It is all historical reality. It happened. And in closing, Jesus exhorts us to take heed to the word of God. In verse 35, he says, watch out, pay attention that the light in you may not be darkness. He uses an example. He says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar nor under a peck measure, but on a lampstand in order that those who enter may see the light. Nobody lights a light to hide it. Jesus Christ is the light of the world who shines in darkness. He stood out so that people would know he did all the things that he did. He didn't do it in, public, in private nor in secrecy. He said, hey, you know it all the things that happened. They were done out in the open in broad daylight. Everybody saw it. You saw all the miracles. You saw all the signs. Everybody wondered what was going on. You saw all of it. It wasn't done in secrecy. And neither was his resurrection. 500 witnesses saw him at one time. He didn't do that in secrecy either. Everything that he did, he did in the open. He did in the light. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. He says, watch out and take heed that you don't become hardened or callous to the privilege of access to God's word. That generation had Jesus living among them, speaking with authority the words of God through his very mouth because he is God in human flesh. And what he said was, you know what? They got callous to the word of God. You and I can become callous to the word of God. 
You and I have access to the written word of God. Not every generation has had access to God's word in written form. We are blessed people. And because we're blessed and privileged, we are also responsible before God. You have access to read the Word of God. We have CDs, as I said. We have tapes. We have TV. We have all, uh, 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 just a plethora of, of means to have access to God's Word. The Word of God was translated so that you and I could read it and understand it and comprehend it. Men died throughout human history taking a stand on translating God's Word into the language of the people. They paid the ultimate price. They died doing it. So that we would have the privilege of reading it. And yet it sits on many of our tables, coffee tables, on our desktops, you know, in our libraries. Some of us don't even know from Sunday to Sunday where it is. And they go, it's, oh, it's Sunday, I need to get my Bible. Where did I put it last week? Have mercy on us. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever be cold and callous to it. Tyndale was martyred. Throughout human history, men paid the price so that you and I could have the privilege of God's Word in written form. We've got missionaries who go all over the world to translate the Word of God into local languages so that they can be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have it in front of us, and we don't take time to read it. That's what he was saying to that generation. You've got God in your presence, and you've become hardened and callous to His very words and His very deeds. Watch out that it doesn't happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. How we see affects everything in our life. Watch out that the light in you may not be darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it shall be fully illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. Don't become dull of hearing to the word of God through sin in your life. God's voice becomes distant, faint, disappears, even for God's people if we continue to, to act in ways that are not right before God. If we continue to sin before God, the Bible says that our hearts become hardened to the truth and we don't even hear God's word. Don't become dull of hearing by choosing to do things that are wrong before God. Repent of your sin. Confess and agree with God that what you're doing, and you know what you're doing, God knows what you're doing. Stop doing it. So that you can hear His voice again in your life. So you can read His truth. So that His Spirit within you can illuminate the truth of God and lead you in the direction that He wants you to go. The story is told of a little girl who was taken to church for the first time and it was on Good Friday. And the long story of the crucifixion like what was read this morning to us was read. And, the be and beautifully read. She heard Peter de Peter's denial and Judas's betrayal. She heard Pilate's bullying cross-examination. She saw the crown of thorns, the buffeting of the soldiers. She heard of Jesus being delivered to be crucified. And then there came the words with their terrible finality. And then they crucified Him. They crucified Him. And it was as if no one in the church even cared. As if they heard the story so many times it just went over their heads. But suddenly the little girl, she, her face was buried in her lap and she cried out to her mother and she was sobbing and she said, Why did they do that? Why did they do that to him? Why? May we never forget why. May we never forget why he did that for us. May we never forget why he died on the cross. It was because of your sin 
and my sin. Because of His love for us. That's why. May we never become callous and dull of hearing to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Don't ever forget the price that He paid. Always remember. Let's pray. Father, may we never become dull of hearing. May we never become blind of seeing the signs that you have before us, one after another, after another, after another. God, you came to us. You spoke your truth. They heard your words. They saw your signs. And they still refused to believe. Belief is not a matter of intelligence. Belief is a choice. It's a matter of the will and of the heart. You have given us more evidence intellectually than we'll ever need. God, it is my prayer that our hearts will be humbled. That we will receive this gift of salvation that is found in Christ and Him alone. Crucified on the cross and raised again from the dead. I pray for all who hear these words as you warn them of the doom that is ahead in their life. That they would heed your warning. They would turn from sin. Turn to Christ. Throw themselves upon your mercy at the foot of the cross. Believe in His death and in His resurrection and receive Him as Lord and Savior. God, you tell us as many as received Him, you've given us the privilege to be called children of God to those who believe in His name. And God, for those of us who have been born again by your will, not our own efforts, may we never become dull of hearing. May we turn from sin and and walk in obedience and victory that you have given us from sin and from the devil and from all the snares that go along with it. That we'll walk in the newness of life in a manner worthy of our calling. That this generation will see us as light and darkness and as salt that causes a thirst and turn to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. God, may we never forget the, the price that Jesus paid. May we always remember. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. As the men-